if you are not surrounded by the healthcare team that knows how to best respond to you and support you, chances are over time, that person, and I did this, you will stop talking about it. You will stop sharing your symptoms, your experiences, because if you can't have them validated by people that you trust, you just stop talking about it. People need more support when it comes to this, because I don't want people <laughs> taking their children saying, oh, you got a stomachache? That's totally normal. That's not normal. Your capacity is greater for health. So let's continually raise the bar and show everyone how to come along. Because I truly believe that good nutrition is really accessible to everybody. Welcome to Pacific Rim College Radio, a podcast sharing stories and wisdom from experts in the fields of holistic wellness and sustainable living. I am your host, Todd Howard, coming to you from Ravenhill Herb Farm, a permaculture design campus of Pacific Rim College in Victoria, British Columbia. As the show's guests demonstrate, by doing small acts to embrace more mindful living, we can positively impact our communities. Cordelia McFadgen's lifelong battle with chronic health issues changed swiftly in outlook when a doctor suggested she eliminate a few potentially problematic foods from her diet. The previous 20 years, marred by dozens of courses of antibiotics, copious medical testing, and even surgery, had offered little to be optimistic about. But with the elimination of gluten and dairy, hope finally started to appear. Cordelia is the Dean of the School of Holistic Nutrition at Pacific Rim College, where she oversees Canada's, and possibly North America's, most comprehensive program of holistic nutrition. Two decades after her trial elimination of gluten and dairy, she has settled into a comfortable rhythm of attuning to her body's nutritional needs and teaching others to do the same. Now in her 40s, she feels better than ever before and is a sought-after educator and practitioner of nutrition. Cordelia holds nothing back in sharing her health journey during this episode. As debilitating as her physical issues were, arguably the psychological challenges were as equally damaging. After years of the allopathic medical institution not validating her health concerns, she eventually stopped talking about it, leading to deep emotional scars, a lack of self-confidence, and an unhealthy body image. Simply picking an outfit became a daunting chore that required foresight into what foods she may eat that day. Through Pacific Rim College and her company, Inspired Living Nutrition, Cordelia is helping others navigate their nutritional needs and empowering people to discover health and vitality. Her journey has not been easy, but she would not have it any other way. She is one gutsy goddess on her path to serve up a hearty dose of wellness. Please enjoy this episode of Pacific Rim College Radio with Cordelia McFadgen. It's good to see you. It's so good to see you. Thanks for doing this. Thank you. Thank you for having me. So how long have you been the Dean of the School of Holistic Nutrition at Pacific Rim College? Over five years now. Wow. Just slightly over five years. Over five? Cool. Yeah. How did this come about in not just being at Pacific Rim College, but tell me how nutrition and holistic nutrition in particular came into your life? Wow, this is... This is a life story, really. I'm cool. one I'm, of these. I'm, in, I'm just going to sit it? back and not say anything for 30 <laughs> minutes. So. I was awesome. hoping to start with one of those questions. Well, you got it. You hit the nail on the head right away. You know, I my my experience with nutrition has been so unique, and in hindsight, I wouldn't have had it any other way because it was really everything that happened to me. 
I really resonate with that quote, you know, life doesn't happen to you, it happens for you. And I'm now in a place where I can look back to all of the experiences, good or bad, that happened to my health and be grateful for them. But I was one of those children who was chronically sick all the time. It was normal for me to come home from elementary, have dinner, and sit on the couch or on the floor with an upset stomach just every day, just all the time. We would go to the doctor, my poor parents, they would take me all the time to see my doctor. Always looked for, you know, major medical dysfunctions. <laughs> Thankfully, nothing was ever found, but it just went on and on. And then what started to happen was I would have chronic nosebleeds. I remember having my nose packed. I remember having my nose cauterized. I would bleed for up to eight hours. Cauterized? Would, yeah, where they burn. They burn the, the blood cells in your nose to stop the bleeding because it, like it won't clot. Like it, yeah. And, and that, you were just a kid. I was, I was a kid. I think that was grade five or grade six, that one. I had a babysitter and my mom went out for the day and my nosebleed lasted about six hours the entire time my mom was gone and the babysitter was freaking out. But by the time my mom got home, I had a small Tupperware full of bloody tissues. Yeah. <laughs> my mom was like, what is happening? I was like, Tried to do the tricks, you know, pinch the nose, ice on the back of the neck to help it clot, didn't work. And, you know, it, it's not even, it, it's that. And then it's also things like I would get every cold and flu going around. I would be sick, you know, every month or every other month. At the time of 18, I was from 14 to 18, I had strep throat three to five times a year. Wow. And then when I was, yeah, all the time. So in hindsight, you can look back and be like, there was something wrong. There's something consistently and constantly eliciting an immune response. What is going on? And were you put on copious amounts of antibiotics during all of those? <sighs> always, always. Yeah. Antibiotics all the time, every time. Um, and then yes, 18, another bad bout of strep throat. And then at that time they said, would you like your tonsils removed? I was like, is it gonna help? <laughs> and they were like, yeah, it should. So I was like, well then take them out. And I remember that distinctly because I was living in Calgary at the time and they said, okay, you're 18. It's, you know, it's a surgery. You can either go to the Foothills hospital and you're in and out in a day, or you can go to the children's hospital and spend a night. <laughs> and my brother, we were quite familiar with the Alberta Children's Hospital due to some health issues that he had. And so I thought, no, I'm going to the Children's Hospital. So I went to the Children's Hospital, had my tonsils out, had excellent care from the nurses there. And then since then, I've never had strep throat again. <laughs> so that was one thing, but it wasn't really until I moved to the UK in my early 20s because my mother was born in Scotland, raised in England. And so I am able to get sort of uh, something in my passport called the right of abode. So I could live over there, work over there in my early twenties. I was like, this is great. I'm gonna go to the UK, move to the UK and started to experience a little bit of the flare up of the symptoms that I'd had before, which is for me, major bloating. Bloating so significant that on one occasion, I remember I weighed myself and then I weighed myself in the morning when I was still really bloated and my weight had fluctuated over 15 pounds. Whoa. So I would go from having a normal stomach to the next day looking four or five months pregnant. 
and actually having people comment when I was 20 being like, oh, are you expecting and being like, <laughs> oh, that's awful. <laughs> Oh my gosh, no, I'm not. Like, <laughs> I just I have to fart. <laughs> exactly. I'm like, I'm just really gassy and I don't know what's going on. Like, and then I go home and be like, maybe if I just pretend I am pregnant, like I can just hold my stomach more. Maybe that's more acceptable, like just to walk <laughs> around because my stomach is in pain all the time. So that was just wild, but started to have the bloating. And for me at the time, I, I wasn't familiar with it, but the brain fog. It was only after I started to remove some certain foods from my diet that I recognized just how foggy my brain was and how I had no memory recall. You know, I had really no even ability to filter what I was saying. I remember at times thinking, don't say that Cordelia, that's really mean. <laughs> Come out, no filter. So started to feel this again, bloating, uh, very bad stomach aches. And I was like, okay, here we go. I'm gonna go to the doctor again. Went to the doctor and this doctor is all these things. He talks about food. He goes, well, what are you eating? Have you looked at food? At this point in my head, I will not even recite what I thought because I thought, oh my goodness, I've been going to the doctors for well over a decade and you think it's food? But I was so desperate. I felt so terrible. I thought, okay, sure food let's look at food and I'll never forget it but he called out wheat <laughs> it was like just just try not to eat wheat for a month and I thought okay this is kind of odd so bread and pasta and that's really my vernacular of what wheat accounted for at that point so I stopped eating bread stopped eating pasta not that I ate a ton of it or so I thought and then about two weeks in of not eating that it was like a veil was just lifted off my brain and all of a sudden I had this clarity that I had never been familiar with before. Not only that, my afternoon naps. I was like, I was the sort of person who I was go, 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 but I needed like a 30 or 60 minute afternoon nap to be able to get through the day. And it was actually the nap that sig signaled me to, oh, something's different. It was, I'd been going on for a few days and I was like, what is different? What is different with my schedule? And I thought, Cordelia, you're not having your nap anymore. And then I was like, whoa what is going on so that was the very first conversation that i had where it dawned on me that what i ate had impact on how i felt and could influence that so at that point i'm still in my early 20s just avoiding big things not really taking it much further than that it wasn't really until i moved back to canada moved back to calgary in my early 20s where i was like okay food matters what more can I learn? And then that's when I remember it was just like this dawning on me where I started to realize that there's allopathic healthcare, which is a system that I had been raised in and what I had been exposed to and was familiar with. But then on the other end of the spectrum, there's this holistic healthcare, which I had never been familiar with. And that is, you know, holistic nutritionists, naturopaths, you know, osteopaths, herbalists, what we consider alternative. And it was when I started to look at the holistic healthcare spectrum and look at practitioners within that realm that I was able to get a naturopathic doctor. And for the first time in my, in my life, actually have a conversation that was longer than 15 minutes that related to my health. I could talk about, I get bad bloating. 
my cramps are terrible every month. I have no memory recall. Why am I so moody? Why am I so mean? <laughs> like, what's wrong with my skin? I try all the skin stuff. Why do I always have breakouts? Just all these things. And then we pieced it together and he's like, you've got some food issues. <laughs> he's got, you've got some food sensitivities. Let's run some blood tests and get an idea of what's going on inside. And I was like, perfect, let's do this. Because up until that point, all the blood tests that I had ever gotten from any doctor came back and they're like, you're normal, you're fine. There's nothing wrong. And, you know, just to quickly talk about another point, that is something that I'm so cognizant of now. When I'm at the college in in clinic, when I'm working with my clients, is that if you're dealing with an invisible illness, if you are not surrounded by the healthcare team that knows how to best respond to you and support you, chances are over time, that person, and I did this, you will stop talking about it. You will stop talking about what you feel. You will stop sharing your symptoms, your experiences, because if you can't have them validated by people that you trust or questioned, which happened to me as a young age, are, are you sure she has an upset stomach? You just stop talking about it. So to actually find a modality, holistic health, talk to a naturopath who didn't rush me, who let me share my experience and start to define what actual healthcare is for me was just one of the most empowering moments of my life. And I always think about that because when we're looking to health and healing, it drives me wild that we try to compartmentalize conversations because everything is a system, everything is interconnected. And if we focus solely on one area without, you know, zooming out to look at the big picture, are you helping or are you hindering health progress further? So at that point, went to the doctor, had some blood tests, had some food sensitivity tests. And sure enough, what came back? It was, you know, it was, the, it was a lot of the top things. It was dairy, <laughs> milk dairy. Um, it was wheats and it was eggs. And so at that point, I just began a protocol. I was like, okay, I'm going to reduce and I'm going to eliminate these things from my diet and I'm going to see how I feel. And so at that point, I had no idea of the timeline, but really it took me just over two years to get my digestive system and my guts back to a point where I wasn't napping, I wasn't extremely bloated. I had great memory recall. I, you know, I was functioning what I felt would be a normal sort of, you know, 20 year old at that point and just starting to have a balance of food and understanding of that. And can I, the other thing that, you, became yeah, a, yeah. you became a pleasant person too. Thank you. I didn't I know did. you back then, but by I the did. way you described yourself a few minutes ago, I was like, wow, whew, that, that must be tough to even socially interact when you're not, to some extent, in control of what's coming out of your mouth. No, you're not. And the feelings it, it, it that you're was, feeling. Well, you just feel out of control. You feel yeah. completely out of control. So it was a lot of, yeah, in my 20s, I wasn't the nicest. I mean, I was nice. I've still got all my best friends. But the tolerance, I suppose, yeah. I had no capacity for very much because I didn't realize that my cup was already overflowing. You could be a bit edgy. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. So the no talking bit, that's interesting the way you put that, that eventually it just got to the point where you suppressed it. You didn't share it with anyone. Yeah. No one was oh. validating your concerns, your feelings, your pain. What did that what kind of impact did that have on you taking all of that 
weighty stuff that you were trying to share externally and then just shove it back down in and keep it in there. Was that psychologically challenging or damaging for you? Did that also bring about other physical symptoms? Talk, talk about that a bit. Yeah, absolutely. It was very challenging. And I, and it's only recently, it really in my mid thirties that I've been able to unpack and really deconstruct how I compartmentalized my health. Because I just got to a point where I was like, I'm just not going to talk about it. I'm not going to tell my parents. I, I just don't want to talk about it. I'm just going to go through and just get it done. And the thing that hinged on to that, that was also that I didn't realize at the time was how that impacted my inner thoughts about my physical body. I started to disassociate from my body in the sense of it was me versus my stomach. It was like, oh, my stomach is like an enemy. I feel bloated. Like, I hate this. I hate my stomach. I hate this. Like, I just wanted to be separate from a part of myself. Mm -hmm. And that is where I've had to come back to in my, you know, in my thirties to go, no, oh my gosh, like I love my body and like actually speak to my body, speak to my digestive system, speak to my stomach and say, you were always trying to be healthy. You were always trying to make me well. I just was not aware of the inputs yeah. to put in so that you could express health. But so that is speaking the language. You weren't understanding no. the, the message from the symptoms. No. Did that affect your entire concept of self-love then? Yeah, absolutely. Self-love in my 20s was, was a very external, passive sort of game. Not necessarily game, but it, it sort of was. It was like, let's go to the spa. Let's get a pedicure. Let's get a manicure, right? And those things are fine if you like it. But where I'm at now with health, is that there is a lot of a lot of passive opportunities for your health that may make you feel like you're doing a lot in reality you're not true health requires action <laughs> yeah. and to be involved and in that phase of lacking in self-love did that then lead you into other damaging behaviors and patterns yeah absolutely because particularly with the the gut stuff you know, I see this clearly now in people that I work with is that when you feel terrible every time you eat, you get to a point where you're like, I don't care. If everything that I eat is going to make me feel terrible, it's going to make me feel like crap, then I'm just going to eat whatever I want. And I don't care because if I eat a smoothie and I'm going to feel like crap, or if I'm going to eat a burger and I'm going to feel like crap, I'm just going to eat whatever I want and just eat it. And it also, it, it, at that point, it also it becomes like a game of chicken with yourself where you're just like, oh, I'm just going to eat this. I'm just going to see how it makes me feel. And you just kind of go. So there was definitely some of that where I felt I was rebelling, but I was just doing damage to myself. But it was out of pure frustration because I would do what I thought would make me feel well. I would do what I was being told and it would still make me feel terrible. And that was very present when I first got the lab test back saying you should probably not eat wheat you know watch the dairy and the eggs to see how you feel like I was like well as I now know now my gut was in such a state that it, no matter what I ate I needed to be conscientious of chewing and the, the basics of digest digesting food that I still was not aware of 
So yeah. With all of that dissociation from your body and from basically being like to hell with it, I'm going to eat whatever I want to yeah. then come to a point where you started to become open to the idea of monitoring how you felt after eating certain things. Was that a, a big leap for you to then go from, I'm just not even going to listen to my body to, okay, now I've really got to tune into what is happening. Was that something that it was just a kind of a, a conscious decision and you were able to do it? Or did you have to become reacquainted with your body? Yeah. Great question. And a bit of both, because to be honest, um, before I had recognized the work I needed to do with my digestive system, the only marker that I was familiar with from upbringing and society was weight. So I was familiar with weight loss programs and tracking because for a long time, that's what I thought the problem was. So then to transfer that sort of mentality into tracking what you're eating for the perspective of monitoring symptoms for gut health, I had to be very careful not to, you know, cross over, like, let's, let's track the calories, let's, let's track this, because it wasn't a sure part of it was what are you consuming, but it was more of we're, we're going to track our foods, but we're tracking our foods to see how I feel. This is a symptom tracker. This is not a guide to restrict what I'm eating. This is information to help me right. identify what foods are best for my diet, as opposed to, you know, yeah. Well, I think it's good that you brought up the weight concept as well, because yeah, like Weight Watchers and all the diet programs that we grew yeah. up being exposed to probably through adverts and whatnot, or having tried, they were predominantly weight monitoring based programs. Yeah. yeah. And as you and I know, someone could be at an unhealthy weight of, let's say, well, whatever unhealthy is, but they could consider yeah. themselves 10 pounds overweight and that could simply be water weight. Yeah. Or in your Absolutely. case, you would change 15 pounds in the course of a day that had nothing to do with whether you were having bowel movements or exercising and getting rid no. of the excess calories. That was just your physiology completely out of whack. Yeah. So yes, weight is such a misleading gauge of our digestive health. Yeah. And it can be an important one, it but it is one not, of the factors. Yeah, absolutely. It is not the only one and it should not be the primary focus, particularly when you're starting out. And that of course led into this whole fat-free craze because oh, fat, my gosh. fat became the enemy. And I really wish dietary fat had a different name from the adipose tissue or the fat within our body. Yeah. Like yeah. we really need to look at those as different concepts, but by calling them both fat, then there's just this association of, oh, okay, I eat fat, I get fat. Yeah. And it led to, of course, and, and we may go down this rabbit hole, but of course, all these synthetic foods and yeah. processed eating that completely went away from any of the natural diets that we were used to consuming historically Absolutely. or ancestrally. Absolutely. And language is so key in health, as you know. And, and the fact is, is like, we now know that, you know, healthy fats do not make you fat. The thing is, there's a lot of practitioners who still subscribe to that belief. So it's, it's still, it's worth talking about over and over again, because I mean, I still hear from women whose 
care, their primary care doctor, their physician is like, oh, wait, really, we don't want to be eating a lot of fat. So yeah. there is just a complete misunderstanding of how important that is. Well, as, as your story showed, it wasn't until you got to the UK and it was it a medical doctor there who asked yeah. you about food. I think the first yeah. one, right? Yeah. And that yeah. had been after... 15 years of going yeah. to the doctors to get your health sorted out and nobody thought about food until this one person. And, and quite frankly, and this is not to poo poo on the allopathic medical system, but even yeah. today they still don't get much nutrition in their training. If any, these are still things that I hear uh, in talking with other doctors and maybe they had three hours. I think the average about 20 years ago was three hours of nutritional yeah. training in their entire education. So one lecture, yeah. And as you and I know, that lecture could go many, many different ways. Mm -hmm. And if it's talking about fat equals fat, and we got to count your calories, and we got to make sure you have enough protein, uh, that's not what we're talking about when we're teaching holistic nutrition. That's no. only going to get you so, so far. Harmful. No, and it's so harmful just to sort of like drop these bombs on people mm -hmm. without actual education and understanding. Yeah. It's harmful. With your lack of talking about what you were dealing with, because you weren't really getting any validation or progress, did you end up normalizing some of these symptoms and just being like, oh, okay, well, maybe this is just the way it is for people? Absolutely. Absolutely. And it was reflected in my wardrobe. You know, at least speak to way? anyone. I'm, well, I just... I mean, I'm sure this is common for a lot of people with digestive issues is that you, you know, look for pants. Where do they sit? If they're going to sit right across my belly button, like that's, that's a no go because depending on what I eat, you know, my bloating could render a pair of trousers. I can't fit in them later in the day. So where am I, what Which are the pants could be a bit of? awkward, couldn't it? Absolutely. <laughs> Where's it going to fit? You know, going for, for sure. Summer, spring and summer was always, I liked better because I could wear skirts and dresses that were flowing. So I didn't have to have anything clinging. So they had a little bit more give, um, just being aware of, sweaters and cardigans and having them on hand so that if I did bloat, I could sort of, you know, just cover myself up and feel a little bit more comfortable with what was happening. You know, as that was still happening, you know, in my twenties, I'm thinking professionally, it was really, it was really awkward at times too, because the thing that happened to me as well is that if I ate something that I was not sure about and started to have um, physical symptoms, my stomach would be so loud. Like it would make so much gurgling noises that if I was at a meeting, I, I, I would be anxious and nervous because I could physically hear my stomach. And then I'd be like, oh my gosh, can somebody else hear this? Like, I'm not hungry. I've ate. It's, this is just a different reaction. So yeah, finding for me, it was in the wardrobe. It would, it would, you know, I would have clothes that would go, you know, two or three sizes. I never just bought the same size clothes. It was like, okay, I've got to have a little bit of give. And then I'd have my wardrobe. Okay, if I'm feeling great, I can wear these clothes. Questionable, these clothes. If I'm very bloated, feeling really terrible, I'm going to pull from this part of my wardrobe. So it was a big what? consideration. Yeah, that's intense. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> it does not sound like fun. No, <laughs> it wasn't. <laughs> yeah, that that's something I've never actually considered as a byproduct of all of this but really that's that's taking the poor health or the dis-ease to a whole nother level where really it's kind of infiltrating all of who you are yeah 
Did you ever just say, I'm done with food? Did you ever? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Were you at times anorexic? No, never. I love food too much. But what I would get into (laughs) is I would I would just try not to eat as long as I could which of course was terrible for my blood sugar looking back, but I would not, you know, I'm going to work. I wouldn't eat breakfast. I wouldn't eat lunch. And then, you know, evening time, I would be so hungry and ravenous. I would eat, 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 eat. And then I would just try to see how long I could not eat because if I wasn't eating, I felt good. But then of course you can't, you can't do that. You have to eat. And then it would get into this sort of like a binge where I'm just, I'm so hungry. I'm eating everything have a terrible reaction. And that's part of where I would, you know, I was speaking to earlier in the sense of if everything's going to make me feel terrible, then I don't care. I'll just eat whatever I want. I'm just, I'm just not going to eat that often. Yeah. And were there other, any other forms of escape that you would turn to? You know what? It really, it was just, I just stopped talking about it. I just, I stopped talking about it. I didn't share about it. When my, particularly in adolescence, like once I moved to junior high, senior high, I did not talk about it at all. I did not want to be the person that had something wrong with them. I did not want that to be, uh, you know, an identifier that was attached to me, like Cordelia, she's got the gut issues. She's always sick, you know, and speaking to it now. And even with my friends I still got from high school, they're like, I had no idea you felt that bad in high school. Like, which is quite common, right? You know, for a variety of things in high schools, people generally don't necessarily share, you know, their, their big troubles, but no, I didn't, I just, I muted myself. And again, that is something that I had to recognize was a trauma response for me in the sense of not asking for help is not healthy and really working through the fact of, you know, in order to be the best that you can be in whatever relation it is to your life, whether it's health, wellness, anything, you need to ask for help and you need to, you know, populate the people around you that are going to support you, which is, it was that thinking and that logic that led me to, you know, I'm always talking about a health team, like who's on your health team. You know, for the majority of my life, I didn't have a health team because I put all of that expectation and pressure on one person, the doctor. And doctors are great. I've benefited from doctors. I've had surgeries, but I now know what their limitations are in the sense of they are very reactive. I am someone who wants to be very proactive with my health. And I would rather have that responsibility on myself to be well, if I know what to do. So it's, it, it's led to so much, but yeah, just that understanding of, okay, not talking, not asking for help. No, that has to change because you're not going to move the needle of your health. If you think if you're only even to this day with nutrition, I talk to other nutritionists because when it comes to me talking to nutrition about me, what I'm not even going to be aware of my biases. And I am aware of some of them. This is why I need to speak to somebody else who can get a fresh view, get fresh eyes on the situation. Yeah. When you started to see the naturopath and you had that first consultation where you actually got to talk and someone was listening. How did yeah. things start to shift after that? You had the blood test done. You found out you were allergic to things. Walk me through that. What was that like, that transition? It was amazing. I remember actually being very overcome with emotion and crying because it, it, nobody had ever, other than my parents, nobody had ever been that interested in how I was feeling before, which 
I see mirrored quite commonly now in clinic at the college where people come and they are overcome with emotion because we are taking the time to go, how are you? Not just now, but where did you, where did you grow up? What's your family like? Because now we know that there's so many clues when it comes to health. We cannot just look at the state of an individual now in front of us and go, okay, we're going to have all the answers. It's about learning about that individual and, and having them express that story, which is what I was able to do in that initial appointment and just talk about everything. And they, that doctor, of course, was like, okay, nosebleeds, chronic colds, chronic, okay, this is a lot of immune stuff. This is a lot of gut stuff. Nobody had ever connected the dots like for that before. So I had, I had no idea. So it was really the beginning of, of what I consider the conversation to my health, which is an ongoing conversation to this day. But prior to that, it was very passive in the sense of, I thought I was doing what I should do. I go to the doctor, I don't feel well. Oh, you're fine. Okay, go home. I don't feel, is this normal? Maybe this is normal. Maybe people feel like this every day. I mean, I have no idea because if I was born in the, you know, I was raised in the eighties, you know, to this day, as a society and, and even in our groups, there can be difficulty in communicating your personal health struggles, particularly if you don't have the language to describe them. So I didn't know anybody who felt like I did. I felt like the only one. So I thought, okay, this has got to be normal. But now I can see they were never conversations up until that point. It was me saying, I don't feel well expecting somebody to know my health when I am the expert in my health, whether I claim that title or not, nobody is gonna be able to advocate for me better than me, which is where after that conversation and that whole trajectory change of, of speaking to the naturopath doctor and after those you know, two years when I started to really kind of work on my gut and feel better, was where, oh my gosh, this is actually what I wanna do. This is, these are the conversations I wanna have with people because we, I was not raised and again, <laughs> typical, not raised understanding the differences between passive health and you know active health. I was very passive in my health. I thought it was being active, but I really wasn't. So the holistic health and understanding the allopathic and how wonderfully they work together, at the end of the day, I know that I'm responsible for my health. So it just it was the start of a completely just a new dawning of what health meant to me in my life everything so your, changed your greatest weakness became your greatest strength and now you're using Absolutely. that strength which I, I definitely want to talk about before we go there i've got a few questions about the early interventions that you had and i'm still hung up on this cauterization of yeah. the nose why did you have so many <laughs> nosebleeds do you think was it mold was it nutrition related was it medication why were you bleeding so much you know what, I think, I think it's just an immune response. And okay. it's interesting as well, is because that actually is quite common in, in undiagnosed celiacs, hmm. constant, constant nosebleeds. And there is, after my journey of health and, and has, you know, over the years got, you know, turned out to my family, a sense of I don't eat wheat, there has since been family members who have been diagnosed celiac. So I think there's, I think there's just something a little bit in it, but again, nobody in my family had really experienced this until, you know, and again, to talk to your own family about one thing that I wasn't talking to my aunts and uncles or my cousins about how I was feeling. This is just something that as time unfolded, 
oh, wow, people that are in my family can't, right. they are celiac. So that's always, you know, I'm not celiac, but that always stuck out for me with those chronic nosebleeds, clearly, you know, eliciting an immune response and just pff, intense. And also I lived in Calgary. So it's high altitude and it's dry, if you're not familiar with Calgary. So there's a few different considerations. Is there something in the wheat protein that actually inhibits the clotting of blood? You know what? That's a great question. I actually don't know. Okay. But at any rate, you had a heightened, you know, I'm thinking of like the vitamin key, vitamin King. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Mm -hmm. The other thing you mentioned is strep throat many, many, many times a year for many years, you have the tonsillectomy. How now, based on what you know about holistic health, how do you reflect back on that decision to have the tonsillectomy? And have you had any, other than the strep throat stopping, have you had any other ramifications, good or bad, from doing that? No, no ramifications. And in fact, you know, as I learned about the immune system and just how important the tonsils are is that sort of like first entryway, you know, to guard your your body and, you know, offer support. I'm quite surprised to be honest that I, that I haven't. I've just been thankful that they were removed because again, when I had those removed, I have not had any strep throat. Not only have I not had strep throat, I rarely get a sore throat. I can't even remember the last time I had a sore throat. Like but do you think the tonsils well over a decade? Do you think the tonsils were the enemy that needed to be removed or do you think they were just on heightened alert? No. Because of the, no. the diet. So today No, they didn't need to be removed. Today would you recommend that as a intervention or would you recommend other measures first no not no no not as a first course of action okay it's a great question todd because now if there's any interventions that require surgery or or anything of sort of a larger you know medical support you know again i look at health as a spectrum so we always know we can have surgery but what are some of those stop points that we can you know utilize before we get to that point but again how are you feeling you know, is it emergency? Well, then get it. But if you have a little bit of time, and if you have the ability and the interest to work on your health, I would absolutely recommend other interventions before surgery. Mm-hmm. Were you on antibiotics any before that? So I think you said about 14 to 18, you were having strep throat. Do you know if you were on courses cool. of antibiotics prior? Oh, yeah, I was on antibiotics anywhere from two to four times a year. Wow. So how much do you think that impacted your digestive system. Massive, massive. And I would love to know exactly how much. All I know is that it it, it greatly impacted the organ <laughs> that needed the most support, which was my whole digestive system. And what have you done now or since then to repair your digestive system, knowing that you basically carpet bombed them with antibiotics for 20 years? Yeah question is you know what haven't I done (laughs) I pretty much tried everything like honestly when in my 20s I mean I've done I've done the candida protocol I you know have removed I haven't eaten wheat or gluten for well over 10 years you know dairy I have very selectively and it's lactose free or it's raw it's local and fortunately eggs no matter what I do my system just reacts to eggs so I can't have eggs which is a real bummer for me because I love eggs Um, but you know, it's just, it's, it's a constant awareness. I'm, you know, I regularly use high quality collagen. I, you know, 
you know, liposomal vitamin C, you know, zinc for my stomach acid, you know, digestive enzymes for foods that I know are a little bit more difficult for me to digest. Because even though my system is operating strong now, it's obviously an area that will require my attention for the rest of my life. Um, you know, I choose to eat as much organic food as possible. I have my own garden. I don't rinse off my vegetables from the garden. I will eat them with a little bit of the organic dirt on them. <laughs> like yeah. it's, it's truly, I can say that it's, you know, I still love my L-glutamine. Like there's things that I utilized in my twenties to help me get back to health that I still regularly use today, just not necessarily daily, but right. they're still in my cupboard, you know, and it's also what I don't eat. Yeah. In my 20s, I ate out a lot. I did not. I was very fortunate <laughs> growing up. My mother was an amazing cook. We always had a garden. I did not pay attention to what she was cooking. So in my 20s, when I did move out, a lot of convenience, a lot of fast foods. And that is, that's really dropped off. You know, I, I, of course, I still eat them. But now it's a big awareness of what am I eating? You know, I'm not a vegetarian. But when I eat out quite often, I will choose to be a vegetarian because you know, quality meat is very important to me, to my values, as well as from a nutrition standpoint. So it's, it just influences, you know, who I choose to support. Right. And I want to highlight what you said earlier on that long list of things. One thing that really stood out to me is that you are aware that your digestive system is going to be your kryptonite, so to speak. And so you always have to yeah. be aware of it, which I want people yeah. to really hear and understand because often, especially in our society where there's a, a a magic pill for every ail we think that okay once the symptoms mm -hmm. are gone that's fine we're in the we're in the clear but in your experience you know that no if if you fall off this wagon for whatever reason you're going to have symptoms you're going to get bumps yeah. and bruises until you get back yeah. onto this path that yeah. you're on and that's really really important yeah. for people to understand that we do as human beings as these holistic entities it's very hard to be in a state of complete balance or homeostasis all the time like we're more in this state of dynamic homeostasis things are always fluctuating and that means sometimes we're going to yeah. need to give a little bit more love to certain areas of our body or certain systems of our body so you've recognized that it's the digestive system in particular that needs your support yeah. and obviously you've made that a, a central part of your life to make sure that you're always nourishing that. Absolutely. And to circle back to what we we're talking about earlier, which is the self-care that is self-care me making sure that I have food in the fridge, me making sure I have the supplements like self-care to me now is making sure that I wake up, you know, I eat what I know is going to make me feel good for whatever I've got for the day ahead. Like self-care is very, has become very practical for me because that's to me what health has become. And that's what I see because we love to talk about before and afters when it comes to health. <laughs> and from, there is no and, after. And there is no after. You, you are always, in it. Yeah, we're always like, in it. It's the day to day. It's like health is not always sexy. And in fact, it can be pretty gross and it can be pretty monotonous and boring because it's waking up having the lemon water, making the smoothie, going for the walk, even when you're like, oh, I don't feel like it. I used to allow my emotions to dictate my day. Mm -hmm. And now that doesn't happen. 
because I have realized that a part of me is just like a little lazy llama. Like I just would sit on the couch. Oh, I don't feel good. Okay, well, if you have gut issues and you're not working with someone, chances are you're not gonna feel good a lot of the time. But if you allow that feeling to be your primary driver, you will not get well. And that's why starting a health journey and especially overcoming that hump when you feel terrible is one of the most, it can be one of the most difficult things you ever do. But truly for me, it's also the opportunities where I have built up my self-confidence and my self-esteem because I was told, oh no, you're always gonna feel like this, this is normal. And I rejected that because I thought this, this doesn't make sense to me. I can feel better than this. And so I committed to that, chose to listen to some other people who were talking in a way that made sense to me. Like, no, if you invest in your health, if you do this, your body will respond. Okay, I'm gonna, I've never, this is new, I'm gonna try this. And then I did it, I started to feel better, great. And then if I faltered, guess what would happen? It didn't feel good, right? So it's really being cognizant of what is your baseline? What is normal for you and adhering to that and staying true to that? Because if you let your emotions dictate, you let your feelings dictate your health journey, particularly if you feel terrible, you may not ever get there. So it's about overcoming that emotion and being very clear on like, what is your goal? And just doing that consistently until it's a habit, until you don't even have to think about it. And it's hard, but health, it's, I mean, health, I mean, I, I, it's not supposed to be easy, right? It's not supposed to be hard. It's not supposed to be easy. It's about perspective. It's about when you have the opportunity to build your health, what a, a, I've always just considered how lucky am I to live in a country where when I started to realize what I wanted to do with my health, there was practitioners that I could reach out to immediately to get that support. Mm-hmm. So always thankful for that. But yeah, you gotta, you gotta get your head out of the feelings and the emotions sometimes, <laughs> especially and if you don't feel good. Cause you're not going to feel like getting out of bed. Despite the obvious of how much focusing on your nutrition has helped transform your life at what point And what was the catalyst? If there was a particular one that you decided that this is what you wanted to pursue as a profession to help others? A couple of things. One, I just started to get people in my network notice uh, not only just a physical change, but just a a mental change in terms of my output and my attitude. So people start to ask me like, what have you done? Can you help me? And I was always acutely aware that while what I did may help someone, I was also very aware of the fact that we're all completely different. So I never felt comfortable talking generally about health. So that was a big one for me. And then the second big one was that it was around that time where some of my friends were starting to have kids. And some of those kids were sort of maybe having symptoms that I displayed. And the messages that they were getting from their doctors was the same that I got. And I thought, this is wild. Like we've learned so much more and the messages isn't changing Mm -hmm. and it's not changing. I thought this is, okay, you're great at what you do, but people need more support when it comes to this because I don't want people (laughs) taking their children saying, oh, you got a stomachache. That's totally normal. 
that's not normal. I couldn't agree more. There's a lot of things that we normalize and we decrease our, you know, our levels of health to, to match. And I'm one of these people who's like, no, like you, your capacity is greater for health. So let's continually raise the bar and show everyone how to come along. Because I truly believe that good nutrition is really accessible to everybody. It's not about the acai berries and the bee pollen. Those are lovely embellishments, but there's so much more. Yeah. When did this start to become this being nutrition, holistic nutrition in particular? When did it start to become a viable career path for you? Honestly, I think when I started to, you know what, when I look back, when I became affiliated with the college, that's when I started to see things opening up a little bit more because prior to that, and still largely to this day, holistic nutrition was considered one of those careers that you have, but your partner has sort of like the main job and they bring the right. income in and, oh, you want to be a nutritionist? Like, that's cute. Like you can, <laughs> like, that's fun. Like you can do that a little bit. And it's like, what? And so now how I see this industry changing is there's, there's so many opportunities for growth and for opportunity. And just, it doesn't have to be a side thing. Like, one of the classes at the college, right, is all about what's the holistic nutrition industry and how does it come from? And I don't think that anyone, largely Canadians, just recognize and realize how new this industry really is. It's not an old industry. And this is where the awareness piece and this is where programs and certifications and all of these things play a really big importance when you as a member of the public elect to work with a holistic nutritionist for your health goals. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's a new industry and yet it's basically a new take on probably the oldest form of healthcare. Absolutely. Not probably. It, the it is. Oldest form of <laughs> right. Right. And of course, everyone knows of Hippocrates and let food be thy medicine. I mean, this has been a cornerstone yes. of good health for millennia. And somehow, really, I think just in the last hundred or so years, yeah, we've steered off course. And we've gotten yeah. so overwhelmed and confused by the propaganda and all the different products that yeah. are available. And we've tuned out of our body, just as you said. You just started, you had to tune out. Yeah. And even today, and even within our School of Holistic Nutrition, we will sometimes bring in world-renowned experts to lecture on certain things that another expert who we bring in maybe a month later is going to have a very different perspective on. It's such a contentious Absolutely. field. And yeah. I know that can be but overwhelming say, for people. Yes, go. That's that's one of the things I love about the college, though, as, as an educational institution, is that we actually provide opportunities for people to develop critical thinking skills in the sense of we, not all of our professors, deans, like no one is like, this is the way, this is the way. They're all different based on the levels of experience and knowledge and, and education. And that is health. There is no one size fits all. And this is where we start to have problems, <laughs> you know, individually and on a societal level is when we think that we can just say, this is the way. Everybody has to follow this. And it's like, no, no, no. This is where if you, elect to be passive in your health and look at those recommendations, they may work well for you, but they may not. Yeah. And we have such a system where so many people make fear-based health decisions because we haven't prioritized health. 
yeah. we've gotten so far away from it. And, it. and it's until someone gets scared, like me, I, I wouldn't know about gut health if I hadn't experienced it. Like, I, I there's no way. Mm-hmm. Like, everything that happened to me allowed me to understand that I have to be present. And that's going back to what you said about the college. We don't have a dogmatic structure that, no, we have to profess this and only this. We don't have an agenda in that regard. And truly with holistic nutrition, I think that needs to be the case. And if you do have an agenda that, oh, no, no, we're holistic nutrition, but we're just teaching plant-based foods or we're just teaching paleo diet or we're just teaching x y or z and we've actually over the years had a lot of scrutiny from certain people who have come into the program and be like oh no there's not enough focus on plant-based diets only i don't like that our instructors are talking about meat well quite frankly that is holistic nutrition and we really do need to consider the entire realm of the food kingdom when it comes to humans and then look at how that's impacting the humans. And as I said, and as you agree, there's a lot of contention. There's going to be a lot of differing yeah. opinions. And we just have to learn yeah. through that self-empowerment and through the critical thinking. We have to learn to make the best decisions for us. And then if we become practitioners for our clients or for our kids or yeah. our parents or whomever it is that we care about. Absolutely. And I feel very, very strongly on that that point. Uh, in the sense of if you wish to be a practitioner and you have the inability to put your bias on the person who is in front of you that needs help, I don't think you should be a practitioner. If you only, you know what, the way I eat is the only way to eat. So I, I'm, this is it. I'm just going to teach people to eat this way. And that's it without recognizing what that individual may need is going to be different from what you may need. Yeah. If you can't do that, then there is a a great potential for you to inflict more harm than good. Yeah, absolutely. And it's, yeah, it's, it's contentious and it comes up more and more, but you've got to help people and food is so confusing and it is just, I mean, I know people who do great on vegan. I also know people who don't. I know people who are really loving the carnivore diet. I know people who that repulses them. Like it's just everyone is different. And the other thing is, is that your nutritional needs are going to change throughout your life. So do I eat the same as I did in my twenties and all this in my thirties? Yeah, generally, but there's difference amounts, cooking times, like all of these things are things that I change to determine. And again, I recognize that my life is my experiment. So I experiment with myself to determine, okay, how do I want to feel? What do I want to do? I want to keep pushing that because I think, why not? Why can't we Benjamin Button our health? Like why, you know, we live in this, this society where we just accept like the older you get, you're just gonna, you're just gonna fade away. You're just gonna, especially as a woman, like <laughs> you're good. And then you have this expiry date, right? And it's like, I feel way much better now, right? Like yeah. I feel now it's 40, way better than I did at 20. Like yeah. hands down, absolutely no comparison. And I just, I want other people who also feel inclined to work on their health to feel that too, because I know it's possible. If I can do it, I mean, we all have different changes, but nutrition is so, so powerful. And even when I hear on social media or anywhere, you know, oh, you know, food's not that big of a deal. I just laugh now. There was a time in my career where I wanted to defend it and go, you're wrong. And now I just go, okay, that's your belief. 
go for it. I really only want to spend time talking to people who are interested in learning strategies and tools to feel well. And if that's not you, that's okay. I hope you feel great anyway. Yeah. Tell me a bit about the new course or newish course that you develop for mm -hmm. Pacific Rim College Online. <gasps> Holistic Nutrition 101. That's the one. That's the one. This was amazing. This was such an incredible opportunity. And this opportunity came to me over two years ago. And I remember having the conversations and essentially I was able to put forward a, a syllabus, you know, a curriculum of what information would I love people to know about holistic nutrition. And really ultimately what I feel should be included in you know, academia in sort of junior high, to be honest, yeah. <laughs> in grade seven. And it goes really right. Because think about like, we just don't, we don't really learn about nutrition at all. So this is the 101 where it's like, listen, if you never take another nutrition course, that's fine. Do yourself a favor, invest in this, watch it, share it with the people that you, you know, live in your house with your family and just learn terms, learn language. Let's talk about you know, body systems, you know, I love talking about the digestive system, obviously, and like the immune system and the endocrine system, because the gut is severely misunderstood. And so are hormones. <laughs> so it's really important to understand what we're talking about with these body systems. What are macronutrients? What are micronutrients? What are, you know, polyphenols? And why do we want to incorporate and eat some of these things? And then I was so pleased that I could also include, you know, what I consider like the holistic in holistic nutrition, which is focusing on sleep, focusing on habits and language. And not only, you know, language that we vocalize when we talk about health, but I would say definitely equally important, potentially more is the language that we're using to describe and talk about ourselves in our own heads. And really just kind of letting people know that we've created, you know, people get so torqued up about nutrition and they feel, I can't do this, I can't do this. But honestly, there's so many things that you can do to implement today. And they don't have to be hard. They really, it's about, and this is where I also love like habitual transformation, because it's like, how can we take the nutrition wisdom that somebody wants and how do we actually create space in someone's life for them to adopt this habit? and maybe review other habits that they have that are not aligned with how they wanna feel in a year, five years, 10 years. And this is why health, we have to have greater conversations because it is not, you know, sure supplements are great and they can help, but if you're only taking supplements, you're not gonna get that, you know, that pinnacle of health for you, right? There's so many wheels and spokes like on a tire that can get you there. So the Holistic Nutrition 101 is really, it's my gift. It's my gift for people who want to learn about holistic nutrition in a fun and easy way and who don't have to worry about dedicating hours and hours and hours how many of their hours life to is, it. How many hours is this course? Seven and a half. Okay. Yeah. Seven and, and a half. And that's seven and a half of beautiful video footage, right? Oh my gosh. Yes. It was my first experience working with an actual, you know, production team. There was, you know, it was the videographer and a set designer and a producer and someone to help. It was gorgeous, filmed on Ravenhill Farm, like get out, amazing, such good energy, such good space. And just the whole team just putting everything together 
just to see my work in collaboration with other professionals and have that show up on the screen, it is, it's a dream come true. It was a dream come true. And it still is. Like I still yeah. pinch myself and I'm like, oh my gosh, I talk about this and it lives out there. And it's just so exciting because now I'm talking to my friends about it. And they're like, I really want to take this and would it be good for kids? And I'm like, listen, you have lifetime access. Watch this for yourself. Don't make anybody watch it with you. Just watch what you want and inquiring minds will start to take note of what you're listening to and they'll want to get engaged. And that's the beautiful thing about it is, you know, I invite people when they get it, don't feel like you have to start at square one. Like if there's something about sleep that really attracts you, go straight to the sleep question, go straight to that area and learn more about that and just really allow your interest and your health to dictate how you kind of consume and digest that content. It's, it's very fun. Who is the audience for this? Is it anyone from middle school up who has an interest in nutrition or is there a particular type of individual that you're looking for? Truly anybody. Okay. Truly anybody. I mean, my target market is always, I'm always speaking to sort of women in their thirties and forties and above, but the information, the way it was created and the way it is displayed on the video anybody. And again, the earlier, the better. So if you do have someone <laughs> in yeah. their teens who is maybe having some food issues or, or, or just loves food and is expressing a curiosity in the garden, oh my gosh, you know, get them this and, share, oh, and I, share the I knowledge wanna, together. I want to encourage even younger than that because kids, yeah. even five, six, seven, eight, they're not too young yeah. to learn about what they're putting in their bodies. No, no. No. And I, and I love that actually. Yeah. Five or six. Why not? I yeah. mean, it doesn't have to be long. And that's the other thing I love about the courses. The modules are, themselves are short. So it's not like you're going to go into the course and it's like, this video is going to be an hour. No, no, they're really small digestible. So you can come back to them frequently and rewatch them as much as you want. So for an attention span for a younger person, absolutely would, it's going to be less than a Paw Patrol episode, you know? So yeah. They <laughs> do can you watch do it. cooking demonstrations as well? Yes, I do. Yes, I do. And you might think like, oh, Cordelia, you're a nutritionist. You must be a whiz in the kitchen. You know, honestly, not so much. I know how to get everything I need into a meal. I'm not necessarily Gordon Ramsay or someone who's like, oh, so if I can cook some meals, feel rest assured that you are going to have some information to know how to make a healthy meal for yourself, like a breakfast, a lunch or a dinner does not have to take a lot of time and does not have to be extremely difficult. So just rest assured they're nutrient dense. And if I can make it, you can make it. <laughs> That's great. And what other resources does someone get with that course? So they get seven and a half hours of video broken up into nice little digestible bits. Yes. And are there other things? Do they get any print material or anything with it? Oh yeah, you get, well, basically when you get the course, you have your home login on PRCO. So you can watch the videos, there's resources, there's downloads. If you want, if you're the sort of person who loves to download things and then create your own physical binder as you work along, you can do that. If you're someone, you just want to keep it all online and just kind of maybe create like a, a Google doc to make notes and things you want to refer back to time and time again, it's definitely worth it. And particularly if anyone is on medications, we do cover a little bit of drug and nutrient depletions. And I find that there's certain information you're going to want a little Google, you know, drive open a little Google doc. So you can just sort of take those notes and refer back to them time and time again. Mm -hmm. Very, very helpful. 
And for someone with drug nutrient depletions, then we also have other courses within the system, such as the one with Rosemary Pierce, where they can learn about that. Yes. Yes. And Rosemary Pierce is someone who's I've learned from. So yes, it just, it's a loop. There's so many great courses on there. This Holistic Nutrition 101, I believe kind of first started when you were filming as one of the instructors for the Community Herbalist Program. How much of the Holistic Nutrition 101 is within the Community Herbalist Program or is it all in there? Great question. So the nutrition in the CHP program is four and a half hours, whereas the Holistic Nutrition 101 is seven and a half. So there's three additional hours of content. Okay, excellent. So cool. And what now? Like, what are you working on right now that has you most excited? Oh my gosh. Honestly, there's just, there's so much. I'm really someone who's been really fortunate this past year. I've just had so many excellent projects on the go. I mean, college related. I'm really excited about the opportunities that we've had to reach more students across the world by being online. So that's incredible. So really looking at more avenues just to kind of get this information into the pockets of the globe where it's most needed uh, is something that is really, really dominant on my mind right now. Um, I'm also, you know, just we're, we're prepping already for the fall. So I mean, we're getting ready for the fall students. So with the college, there's so much excitement relating to online learning and just everything that that entails. Um, and then really for my business, I just, I keep just refining things, to be honest. I just keep getting clear on clear on how I want to serve and who I want to serve and, you know, doing these podcasts and talking about things more. So I think the biggest focus for me professionally is, is, is really just creating that business and that life that I want. You know, I think it's really easy as health practitioners to be like, sleep and rest and you should do this and da, da 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 so it's actually taking a lot of those outward messages and saying okay Cordelia we have a lot to accomplish but we need our sleep and we need our exercise and let's actually be that example of the business and the individual that we all talk about which some days really easy and some days not so easy but it's always looking at that balance of how can I serve and how can I serve myself so that in turn I can be the best nutritionist for the college, for my clients, for everybody. What is the business called and how do you serve people specifically with it? My business is called Inspired Living Nutrition and I work online. So I've got ladies I serve really predominantly in America and Canada and everything happens online and I'm a big tech person. I love utilizing new tech. So I've got beautiful online portals for people to you know, just log in, have information. I'm always looking for ways to reduce printouts, paper, and time. I basically really always look for strategies to implement in my business that I would want as a, you know, entrepreneur and businesswoman who is busy. Okay, how can I get the information? Where is it easy to access and what's reasonable? So looking just to incorporate that and really just excited I'm even more excited because I think with this past year and more people spending time online, people have become more familiar and more comfortable working online. And so I've definitely heard from people who are like, I would have never considered working with someone online before, but I feel so much more comfortable now with Zoom and how to work things. And actually I see the benefit in not having to drive somewhere and wait in traffic and then drive back. Like I'm looking for efficiencies in my time and 
I'm looking to maybe, you know, play online in a way that I never was before. And so that's really exciting. What is the opportunity for someone to actually work with you? Oh, they can go to inspiredlivingnutrition.com and they can click on the work with me tab. And I offer everybody an opportunity just to connect, no pressure call with me, just so that you can learn about me and my philosophies. And then I can learn a little bit about you to make sure that we're a good fit for each other. Because again, as you can imagine, I'm not a passive nutritionist. So if someone elects to work with me, they're electing to have fun, but they're also electing to be challenged. And in that challenge of health can be, you know, uncertainty. And that's why I walk alongside my clients because I've been there myself and I know how important it is to get through, you know, that really sort of messy middle part of that health transformation where you're, you're not happy necessarily where you feel, you know, physical symptoms, you're not yet where you want to be. And you're just navigating that day-to-day stuff that's going to get you there, but, you know, feels like a long time. So it's that support and that expertise that I've done myself and I know it works, but it's the time. We always underestimate the time it takes. (laughs) And that's a valuable, valuable resource. So that is at inspiredlivingnutrition.com, correct? You got it. Okay. Yeah. Any anywhere else that you want to send listeners for your own personal stuff? Or is that the main main I side? am very active on Instagram. Okay. Yeah. So if you are active on Instagram, I'm doing real deals every Friday talking about topics. Oh, nice. I'm actually gonna reach out and we're gonna have some excellent speakers that are also in the CHP program. So yeah, I do real deals by myself, talk to other practitioners and just have conversations. They typically always center on my three big areas, which is gut health, hormonal health, and habitual transformation. So those are the areas that I just love to live in and, you know, give some tips and tricks. So cool. So what is your Instagram? I don't know. What is it? coordinates handle what what do you say i know my tag it's inspired right it's inspired underscore living underscore nutrition all right we'll put that in the show notes with your website and then of course as you mentioned for pacific rim college our campus much of our nutrition actually is all of our nutrition curriculum now online or just much yeah all of Well, much of it. So all of it's online. We are in the fall semester starting to have a little bit more clinics online as we sort of get back to normal affairs. But the Holistic Nutrition Certificate Program, which is a four-month program, which matriculates beautifully into the three-year program, which, by the way, is the most comprehensive holistic nutrition program in Canada, is online and will remain online. So that occurs Thursday and Friday evenings, as well as Saturday and Sunday. All of our live classes for that offering are based on Pacific Standard Time. Okay. And then for the three-year diploma program, there's basically opportunity for both on-campus in Victoria and online study, right? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. And then, of course, for someone who wants to see the Holistic Nutrition 101, that's at Pacific Rim College online. And they can also get a smaller portion of that by enrolling in the Community Herbalist online program at the same place. Cool. Absolutely. Oh, and one last thing. the As you mentioned, the clinics, yeah. not only are we teaching students about how to run their own clinic in the online space and on campus, but this is an opportunity for people all over the world to get 
consultations online yes. with you, yeah. our other amazing instructors, and our students. Yes, absolutely. So that's the beautiful thing about our program is our students are learning the, the knowledge and the wisdom. And then they have that opportunity to work with real life people to assist them in their health goals. And then the most beautiful thing is to see the changes, the positive changes that occur over time. So it's amazing. And it's an excellent community resource. And you've, I'm sure, have seen patients stick around for months and years at a time, aren't they? Because yeah, you and the student yep. clinic have become part of that healthcare team. Yeah, absolutely, and that's such an amazing benefit for that student to to you know learn about that food therapeutics, to work with someone, and then to work with them through their academic career until graduation, and to see those improvements. It just it gives them such a boost of confidence to just enter that workforce, whether they're going to work for someone, start their own business. They've just got that evidence of. I know what this is and I've seen it work and I actually have an idea of how to talk to someone who is needing support. So it's incredible. So cool. As are you. Thank you for doing so this cool. today. So Thanks, much to Tom. learn. So are you. <laughs> You're so inspirational. And thank you for being such a critical part of our team at the college and for being the dean of our school of holistic nutrition and for being such an advocate in general for empowering people to take responsibility for their health oh it's my honor you're welcome and thank you to you and the rest of the team at prc it's just been such a shining achievement of my career to be a part of such an incredible program and to just you know have that reason to reach out and just to support the holistic nutrition industry with our amazing graduates it's just yeah. it continues every every semester just gets better and better it's so cool Thank you, Cordelia. Thank you for doing this today. And I'll make sure Thanks, that I put Todd. all of the details in the show notes so people can check you out on your site and on your Instagram and on your courses. So have a wonderful day. Perfect. You too. Thank you so much, Todd. Take care. Thanks for listening to this episode of Pacific Rim College Radio with Cordelia McFadgen. For more about working with Cordelia, go to inspiredlivingnutrition.com. To learn directly from her, check out her online holistic nutrition teaching at pacificrimcollege.online, including her popular course, Holistic Nutrition 101. While you're there, explore our other education in holistic nutrition from world-renowned instructors, including some guests of this podcast. Sign up for our newsletter to receive special offers on our newest releases. If you are interested in comprehensive studies in holistic nutrition, the School of Holistic Nutrition at Pacific Rim College offers world-renowned programs, including world's only study options combining holistic nutrition with Western herbal medicine and acupuncture. Visit pacificrimcollege.com to learn more. If you are interested in receiving clinical services in holistic nutrition, herbal medicine, and acupuncture in Chinese medicine, the student clinic at PRC provides more than 7,000 annual treatments. Live holistic nutrition and herbal medicine consultations are both available online, while acupuncture and Chinese medicine treatments can be had at our Victoria campus. Free treatment options are available in all areas. Visit the student clinic at pacificrimcollege.com for more information and to book your appointment. If you enjoyed this podcast, share it with your friends and family and give it a five-star rating on whatever podcast app you are using. Thanks for tuning in. Until next time, start building your healthcare team with a group of natural health practitioners you can trust.